What you see is what you get. Hello, my name is Pastor Chris Miller, and I am your host on the PC Speaking Podcast, where we are equipping Christians for life. Hello and welcome. Thanks for taking the time to listen in, and a very Merry Christmas to you. Today is a very special day because it is Christmas Eve, and I guess in a way you could say you guys are kind of my guinea pigs here because this is probably going to be the message for this evening, even though technically I'm not releasing it until Christmas Day. Isn't technology strange? Anyway, not expecting a huge bunch of listeners on uh, on, uh, Christmas Day, but you never know what you might come up with. So I just want to put this out there and maybe it will encourage someone. And yeah, there you go. So we are talking about, we're going to be looking at uh, obviously part of the Christmas narrative. Um, There's an aircon unit out here on the side of our church building. And oh gosh, it was put out there quite a while ago now, but it's this big, well, it's not the nicest looking piece of kit hanging off the side of the building. And I remember when they first installed it, I thought, my goodness, what a terrible eyesore. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to live with it. It was so bad. But now I walk by it several times a week and I don't even notice it. I don't even see it there anymore. Um, and it's interesting how if we see the same thing over and over and over, we stop noticing it. We actually stop seeing it. It's almost like we go blind to it. And sometimes I think because we can become so well acquainted with certain passages in the Bible, uh, the Christmas narrative nativity scene uh, being a great example of that, because most people know a, a large part of that story. But because we're so acquainted with it, it can be a challenge to look at that in such a way that we shine fresh light on the Christmas narrative and allow it to address us in a new way in our heart. And it's important that we do that because if we, as I say, see the same thing over and over and over, we forget that we're even seeing it. So we're going to take a a bit of time and talk about some characters who are part of the nativity, but they're kind of peripheral. Well, except the wise men, I suppose they're pretty everybody sees them as part of it, but we're also going to be involving a few other characters who are are more peripheral. And we're going to be doing that from Matthew chapter two. And I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter two, and I'm going to read verses one through 11. That's why I've got these lovely eyeglasses on. If you are tuning in on YouTube, um, this is what it says. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have come to worship him. My fault there, I missed a sentence. For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where Christ should be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are no longer least among the princes of Judah. For out of you shall come a governor who will shepherd my people Israel. When Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, carefully inquired of them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again so that I may come and worship him also. 
When they heard the king, they departed. And the star which they saw in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great excitement. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped. They worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So there is the another part of the Christmas narrative. And it opens with the wise men seeking Jesus, and it finishes up with the wise men finding Jesus. And the Bible tells us that they came from the east, and it doesn't tell us a lot about these wise men, but we can speculate a fair bit about them um, from different sources, history, things like that. It's not unlikely that they came from Persia. They are um, well-educated men. They probably studied things like astronomy and philosophy and possibly even medicine. They were probably advisors to Persian kings. They were men of wealth and influence, um, and they'd been living in expectation of the birth of a special king for a very long time. And that expectation likely dates back uh, 600 years clear to the time of Daniel in the Old Testament, and that's Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel, in case you were wondering, maybe that's the story you're familiar with. How Daniel ended up in Babylon was that he was taken there as a prisoner. But even though he started out as a prisoner, God rose him up through the ranks of the royal court in Babylon to a very important position. He was an advisor to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he did such a good job at that, that Nebuchadnezzar put him in charge of all the wise men in Babylon. So he was a very prominent figure in the king's court in Babylon. And so one of the things you can learn from that is that Daniel himself was actually a wise man in Babylon. And eventually Babylon fell to the Persian empire and Daniel amazingly survives that. And even more amazingly was again, raised up to a position of power and influence. Obviously God was very much working in Daniel's life. So Daniel, the prophet and the wise man taught other wise men that someday a very special king would be born who would save his people. And what Daniel taught was passed down over the course of 600 years. So when these wise men arrive in Jerusalem, it has been a very long time in the coming. Uh, This isn't something that just happened on a whim. They know there's a newborn king and they're looking for him. But before they go specifically to find him, they do uh, what important dignitaries do when they travel to uh, a new city and they go and they visit the local ruler. And in this case, it was King Herod. And they go to King Herod and they ask him, where's the one who's born King of the Jews? We've come to worship him. And when Herod hears this, it, It concerns him because he's thinking, hey, wait a minute, I'm king of the Jews. What do you mean king of the Jews? He likes being king. He doesn't want to give up his kingdom. So the Bible tells us that he gathers his chief priests and scribes together. And they were religious leaders. They were intellectuals. These were intelligent, successful people. And sometimes they served as advisors to King Herod. And he asked him, what's going on here? Why are these guys talking about someone who's born king of the Jews? I'm king of the Jews. And they refer him 
um, to something an Old Te- Testament prophet said, uh, the prophet Micah. And Micah actually, he's even, this is even older. Um, he predated Daniel by 150 years. And this is what Micah said. You can find it in the book of Micah chapter five, verse two. And it's part of this passage as well. But he says, and you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are no longer least among the princes of Judah. For out of you shall come a governor who will shepherd my people, Israel. And when Herod hears that, he he becomes even more worried. He goes to these visiting wise men and he quietly kind of takes them aside and tells them, hey, when you find this new king, let me know uh, because I want to come and worship him too. But if you've heard the story, if you know the story, unfortunately, Herod wasn't telling the truth and he goes on to do something very drastic and terrible, but that's, that's a story for another day. If you want to read that, you can you know go to the book of Matthew and, and read on. But one thing we can say about Herod for sure is that he takes the birth of Jesus very seriously. He didn't mess around with it. It wasn't a joke to him. He's like, he's genuinely concerned about that. He truly believes that a new king has been born. And Herod had many things. Um, he had wealth, he had power, he had influence. He was a political genius. He was, uh, there's a lot to Herod. And when you start looking at his life, but he had all the things that come with that as well, the wealth, the power, the influence. And he was afraid that what was going to happen was this newborn king of the Jews, as the wise men called him, was going to take all that away from him. And he didn't want to give that up. Experience has shown me that there are a lot of people who view Jesus a lot like Herod does. They don't doubt the birth of Jesus necessarily, but they are afraid that if they allow him to be king in their life, they're going to have to give up something that's very important to them, something that means a lot to them. Now, the scribes and the priests, they see things in a different light. And they say, well, this is what we know. Someone, a prophet from 750 years ago, said there would be a king who would shepherd his people, Israel. And... This guy also said that this king would come from Bethlehem. Herod takes the birth of Jesus very seriously. And that's because he's afraid he's going to lose something. Jesus is going to take his kingdom away. Now the priests and the scribes, on the other hand, they see things from a little different light. They're more skeptical than Herod. They have more of an intellectual perspective. They believe you know, Micah was talking about someone who would be a political savior. He would be a conquering king who would set up his kingdom and fix everything that was wrong with the world. He was going to come in and cast off the oppressive Roman empire. You know, they were looking forward to all these things, but a baby born to a lower income family, it just didn't fit the bill for what they thought would be this conquering king. Now they were religious, they are intelligent, but the baby the wise men are seeking just didn't seem like what they thought this king should be. And the obvious proof of that is that they didn't go look for him. They didn't bother to go find him. And there are people who are like Herod, who are afraid of Jesus taking their kingdom away. There are also people like the scribes and the chief priests who are just skeptical and Jesus doesn't fit the bill for whatever they think he should be, or they just kind of write him off, whatever it might be. They're intelligent. 
they're well-educated, they're successful, and, and probably what most of us would consider to be good people. It's not like they're someone would say, oh, what a horrible person, but they haven't bothered to go and meet Jesus. They didn't go and seek him out. And then at this point, we come back to where we started with the wise men. They left Herod and his advisors to go look for Jesus. And in fact, they did find him. And it's been a long time coming for sure, hundreds of years, but here they are. And when they see Jesus, what do they do? Verse 11 tells us, it says, is when they came into the house, they saw the young child with, his, with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They fell down and they worshiped him. They gave of themselves to him. And there's something that the wise men have that these other characters don't have, something that Herod and the scribes and the chief priests don't have. It's the thing that leads them to fall down and worship Jesus, the newborn king. And some might say, well, it's faith, but faith is kind of different. What they do have is they have hope. They have hope. They recognize Jesus as king and they find hope in him personally. You know, I, I read all the time. I read like a maniac, but I was, I was reading about depression and anxiety the other day, specifically in young people. These kinds of things interest me. But those things are not common to, uncommon to people of any age. Um, depression, anxiety, mental health issues. There's a lot of people struggling with those things today. And the question has been asked a lot lately, why is everyone struggling so much with mental health? And I, there's a multitude of reasons for that. But here's my thoughts in an ocean of opinions. People have always had ups and downs. Um, but today, information travels so fast and we are so connected. We know everything about everything all the time. The onslaught of information is endless. We know more about what's going on in the world in a few minutes than the wise men, for instance, would have known in many, many months. And I think that we don't know what to do with that. We struggle to process all of that. We're hearing about war. We, we recently heard about some police officers being murdered and over the past few years, we've been constantly bombarded with climate change and COVID and vaccine and lockdowns and pronouns and all these different things. And regardless of your views on any of those things, okay, that's for this discussion, the view, how you see that stuff is irrelevant. Regardless of how you see it, it wears you down. It's a beating going through all of that and it gets old. I remember when I was a kid watching the space shuttle Challenger launch and we were sitting in uh, a classroom and we had one of those old carts with a TV sitting on top of it. And 73 seconds into the launch, the Challenger had a catastrophic failure. It exploded and killed everyone on board or they all died in the explosion. And, you know, we, as, as young people, we just kind of, we didn't really understand what happened. What's going on here? What happened? Is this real? Is it, you know, are the people okay? And it, it took a while to work through that and process that. And I heard someone say that for kids today, 
because of how fast information travels and how much they see and are constantly trying to process, it's like the space shuttle explodes every day for them. And it's, it's kind of like that for adults as well. And one of the reasons people struggle so much is because they have no hope. There is such an onslaught of negativity from every source, both secular and religious, that people don't know what to do. They just don't have any hope. And when you have no hope, when you don't have hope, you don't have anything. And, you know, like I say, some people are like Herod, afraid of what's coming. They try to take matters into their own hands. They're trying to manipulate the situation. Some people are like the scribes and the chief priests. You know, they're intelligent. Some of them religious people looking for a political savior who's going to come along and fix everything. The problem is that we can't even agree on what fixed would look like. We don't even know. But one thing we probably can agree on as, as a group is that the world is broken. There's something not right. And it's not just the world, but it's the people in it because it's the people who make things in the world happen people like you and me. In another part of the Christmas story, an angel appears to the shepherds and says, listen, do not fear for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, all people. Now that, that verse, okay, I know it was written 2000 years ago, but that all people, that applies to you and me too. Good tidings of great joy for all people, you and me too. And the next verse goes on to say, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And maybe you've heard the term gospel. And I've been kind of challenging people more recently to define what that word means. And I'm gonna give you a big leg up in that. In the language the New Testament was originally written in, the word translated in that verse is good news. And the word translated as the gospel elsewhere are the same word. They're the same word. That's what the gospel means. That's what the gospel is, is good news. The good news that a savior is born in Bethlehem. The same savior lived a perfect life without sin. He wasn't broken. That same savior went to the cross. He shed his blood on the cross as an atonement for our brokenness so that we could be reconciled with God. He was buried, he rose again the third day, showing he has power over death according to the scripture. And there will come a time when Jesus returns and he sets up his perfect kingdom and makes everything right. Whatever that's gonna look like, it will be perfect and we'll all be able to agree on that. But it's not yet, but it is coming. It's gonna happen. And it is possible for you and me to have hope in being part of that perfect kingdom that's yet to come that will be ruled by Jesus. And there are two different kinds of hope. One is a kind of hope that is wishing something good might happen. You know, like, oh, gee whiz, I hope, I hope life gets better. I hope things in the world get better. I hope 2023 is a better year. That's kind of a wishing kind of hope. The other kind of hope is the kind of hope the Bible talks about, the kind of hope we can have in the kingdom of Jesus. It's a confident expectation of things to come. It is defined as so confident, in fact, that it is as good as if it had already happened. Life is not easy. And, you know, there's gonna be fluctuation in that. 
going to get better. It's going to get worse at times. And there are many things wrong in the world. And there are, we're all broken people, but Jesus will come. There will be a time when he comes, he sets up his perfect kingdom and you can have hope in that, but you must recognize him as king. You have to trust him as your savior. If you don't put faith in him, you won't be part of the kingdom. And the option, the other option is much worse than anything in this world. But that's the whole point of the Christmas story. Light of the world, the hope, the one who come to shine light into the darkness, hope of the world, the hope for all of us, the one we can have hope in that regardless of what goes on in the world today, we can have hope in his kingdom that is to come and will be forever. And to be part of that kingdom, you turn away from your sin. That's what the word repent means. We turn away from sin and we turn to Jesus. We trust him, believing that he died on the cross in our place so that we might be reconciled with God. And he offers that to you as a free gift. And you can accept that gift right now wherever you may be in the world. It doesn't matter. You can pray and say, Jesus, I recognize that I am broken. I recognize that I'm sinful. I recognize that I need you as my savior. And I recognize that you are the only way for me to be part of your kingdom and accept the gift. And you can do that right now, regardless of wherever you are. And I hope if you haven't done that, I pray that you will. Well, I certainly... I'm all, as always, I'm grateful that you have taken the time to tune in and listen. I'm grateful for you. I will be praying for you. And I hope that you have a very, very Merry Christmas. Talk soon. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let me know what you think in the comments. Please consider subscribing and sharing this with someone who might find it helpful. That's good.